Tim Hawkins. He's a Christian comedian that's just so funny. And I love how he brought out, that was a Christianese phrase, hedge of protection, right? I pray that all the time, you know? But it's funny. It doesn't, I mean, it's, and it's fine to pray. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's one of those things that's Christianese, right? It's just something we all say that doesn't make sense outside of a Christian context. And so... We're continuing our Christianese uh, series this morning. I want to give you a quick little warning. Um, we, this this uh, sermon is rated PG. I don't think it's PG-13. I think it's PG. Uh, but just if you need to make decisions about your children hearing this, you know, feel free. Uh, you are the parent. I am not. Thank God. Um, next week is Father's Day. I will be in South Africa. Love you guys. I'll be way too far away to do anything helpful, okay? So, uh, but my dad is going to be sharing, uh, and he is going to explain a phrase that's all throughout the scripture, but it's often misunderstood, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Should we quake in our boots around God? Or is it a healthy respect, as we've been told by some? Or what is the fear of the Lord? So he's, he's going to bring that, and um, it's, it's going to be great. So, well, we're going con- to continue Christianese uh, this morning with the word fornication. The word fornication. We're going to defi- define this and talk about what it means. Now, do you all got a joke? Are you ready for a joke? All right. What is the smallest sin in the Bible? Flee fornication. Oh, that's terrible, I know. I think it's hilarious. Look, fleas, like little fleas. Okay. My, my dad, uh, you know, love bugs will be coming out this fall. Thank you, University of Florida. And um, my dad, when I, was, uh, when I was younger, used to call them the fornicating bugs. Um, and, he, <laughs> and he hated them because, you know, they mess up the paint on your car, right? So he would call them little fornicators. Um, so we're... <laughs> We're talking about uh, fornication uh, this morning. Just a reminder on what Christianese is real quick. Christianese is the insider language of our Christian faith, okay? We use words and phrases that mean certain things to us, but they don't make sense to people outside of our faith. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with these words or phrases necessarily. We just need to make sure that we can define them and, and that people don't feel excluded out of our inner Christian circle because we talk in a way that doesn't make sense to them. And so that's why we're taking time this whole summer to talk about some of the Christian phrases and words. And so I, I really am praying about it. I really felt like we needed to talk about the word fornication this morning. Uh, the word fornication is a good example of how distant church culture can be from current culture. Uh, the, the word even just, it just sounds, to me, it just sounds so, well, fornication, you know, it just sounds so like old school. But the problem is, and, and we'll talk some more about this as we continue, but the church hasn't done a very good job. The church at large has not done a very good job, in my opinion, talking about sex. I don't think we've, we've done a very good job. Um, it, the problem, but sex is everywhere. And even right now, for some of you, you're kind of, you're kind of, you're kind of tense right now because you know this is the topic this morning. And I get that. I get that. And we don't want to be gross and we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be dishonoring. But, um, you know, at the same time, we've got to talk about this stuff. Uh, just the other night, a couple couple nights ago, uh, it was me and, and, a, and a few of the kids. We were sitting, we were flipping channels on TV, looking for something, right? Hey, we'll find something on TV. And I saw on there, Celebrity Family Feud. And I thought, hey, cool, we can watch this. It's Family Feud, no big deal. The guy that's the host is, 
an outspoken Christian and, and all that. And I, we made it through two questions, and both of them were pretty graphic about sex. I was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is primetime family programming with supposed Christians at the helm. And I don't even feel, I mean, and we're open in my family about sex, you guys. I mean, we're not like prudish at all. We, we've talked about it. And so, uh, y'all, sex is everywhere. It's everywhere. So we've got to talk about it intelligently. So we're going to talk about fornication. So let's just get into it. Let's get into the definition here. The, The word fornication, it comes from the Greek word pornaya. Pornaya, okay, and and that should that should sound interesting, uh, not interesting, but but familiar. It does sound interesting, but it should sound familiar because of the root porn. Um, it is defined, and this is my definition: any sexual activity outside of God's boundaries and beyond God's purposes. Any sexual activity outside of God's boundaries and beyond God's purposes. Now, everyone wants a list. What can I do? What can I do? And so here is a biblical list of things that are uh, considered fornication um, in the Bible. This includes sex before marriage. It includes cohabitation. That's living together before you are married. It includes pornography. It includes homosexuality. It includes incest. It includes bestiality. It includes rape. And it includes adultery. All of these things would be considered fornication. So now in, your, in some of your newer translations, they don't use that word. They use the word sexual immorality. And so sexual immorality or fornication, pornaya is the Greek word, is, is any activity. So when you're trying to determine what is and what is not fornication, I, I encourage you, don't think about what's wrong, but, but, you, but think about what's right. And if it's not right, then it's fornication. Does that make sense? Okay, everyone's, well, is this a sin or is this a sin? Well, is this a sin or is this a sin? And we're always looking for sins that we feel are worse so we can compare ourselves to someone else, right? And and have this pseudo-righteousness. Well, I'm not righteous, but at least I'm not that unrighteous, right? That's wrong. That's a wrong mentality to have, okay? Now, just just so you know, uh, sex before marriage, cohabitation, these things are similar. I I don't have time to talk about each one of these. Um, Cohabitation, even if you throw out the Bible, even if you throw out morality, cohabitation is a really, really bad idea. Google it. Check up on me. Um, You are 33% more likely to have a divorce if you live together before you get married. Why? We'll talk about why a little bit farther along, but, but the, the reason is, is because of a lack of value. You're not valuing each other. You're receiving the benefit of marriage without the responsibility of marriage. And so, so that's, and, and in, today's, in today's society, I'm telling you, uh, and some of you that are older, you, you won't get this, but, but the younger generation, anyone under 40, the, the progression is dating, dating exclusively, living together, engaged in marriage. I mean, that is a, a very common uh, process and progress in people's relationship. It is, is fornication. It, it, is, it, is, it is not, um, it, it's, it's not God's plan for sexuality, and, and you'll see why. Um, pornography, I actually have a whole sermon on that. Uh, I have one of my favorite gaffes I've ever made from the stage in that sermon. You should listen to it. It's hilarious. I will try not to say anything uh, awkwardly wrong or have any Freudian slips, but I make no guarantees. 
Um, homosexuality. I did a whole sermon on that as well. I encourage you. Uh, we can fish these out and, and make copies for you. They're also on our website and on our podcast as well. And you can, we just kind of flesh those two topics out from a biblical balanced and grace-filled perspective. Um, incest, bestiality. I know that's, that's where everyone gets, whoa, hey, oh, you know. Um, I, I know, but, but, but these, it, it may not be that, that big of a deal here in our culture, but, but these things happen a lot. Um, rape, obviously. I've actually heard people say that the Bible is somehow pro-rape, which is just ridiculous. And, and you'll see, again, when we get to the biblical um, idea of uh, boundaries of sex, that it's just no way in there. And, of course, adultery. Now, adultery... Uh, you can only commit adultery if you're married. Adultery is cheating on a spouse, okay? But it is under, it's a subset of sexual immorality. It's a subset underneath the, the, the banner of fornication. Are you with me? Is there, no, one's, no one's leaving yet, so okay, we're, we're good, all right? Fornication, just so you know, is also symbolically tied to idolatry, Especially in the Old Testament, uh, God, when he talks to the Israelites, he's kind of saying, hey, you know, you're cheating on me. Uh, you're committing fornication with these other idols. Um, and so, so you see that all throughout the Old, Old Testament. But my, here, here's a question I think we all need to really get our, wrap our heads around is, is this. Is, is fornication a big deal? I mean, really, it's 2017. We have grown past uh, the sexual mores of, you know, our, the, our parents' parents and grandparents and, and that generation. Way past, right? I mean, is this really a big deal? Do we really have to be constrained and constricted in our sexuality by a book that was written 2,000 years ago? Y'all have read my sermon notes. The answer is yes. It is a big deal. And I referenced Acts 15.20, and we won't turn there for the sake of time. But what's happening during Acts is Jesus, as you know, was the Jewish Messiah. He came to save the Jews. But also, he was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. This created some conflict among the Jews. And they're like, okay, gosh, um, so what do we tell the non-Jews about Jesus? Like, do they have to, do they have to become Jewish and then follow Jesus? Or can they follow Jesus without being Jewish? Because he is our Messiah after all. They have this big meeting. It's called the Council of Jerusalem. It's all in Acts chapter 15. It's really interesting. You should read it. And, and they say, okay, so what do we tell the Gentiles, the non-Jews, about following Jesus? Like, how Jewish do they have to be? And the answer is not very at all. Actually, none at all. And then, okay, what, what are we going to tell them? What's our official advice to non-Jews who want to follow Jesus. And they come up with a handful of things. One has to do with idolatry. One has to do with, with not freaking out the Jews about how you eat or how they prepare their food. But the only moral sin that's listed is sexual immorality. They could have said, hey, don't lie. Look, if you're going to follow Jesus, like, you don't have to become a Jew, but look, don't lie. Don't, don't steal. Don't do, right? don't, don't do that. But they, they decided to highlight. They said, look. Like, you're going to have to get the sexual immorality out. And it was rampant in a lot of those areas where Jesus uh, was, was being preached. So they said that this is a, it was highlighted as a big deal. If you ever read any of Paul's sin lists where he's writing a letter to a city, and he's saying, look, here's a, here's, here are the examples of sins that are the result of not knowing Jesus. Sexual sin is always at the very, not just in the list, but usually the first one. Let's turn, um, and, and when the answer is why, well, the question is why. Why is it a big deal? Because it hurts you. 
All sin, anything that's labeled a sin by the word of God, by, by God himself, anything labeled sin is because it hurts you. It damages you. God's not out there trying to cramp your style or make you not have any fun. All right? What he wants you to do is he wants you to be safe and protected and do things his way because he's a good God and he loves you. He doesn't want you hurt. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says this. I'm reading the New Living Translation. It says, run from sexual sin. The King James that you may have heard if you grew up in church is flee fornication. Okay, the little flee. Okay. Sorry, I'm back on that joke again. Flee fornication. Flee. Now run from, I like the word flee better. Why? Because flee means like I'm panicking and freaking out while I'm running. Run is just, I could be jogging, leisurely jog, right? I could be running a race. But the word flee denotes like, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. So flee or run from sexual sin. The word here that's translated sexual sin is fornication. Okay, it is pornia. No other sin. Now pay attention. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Now, there's this idea going around that says, well, you know, Jamie, all all sins are the same. Aren't all sins the same in God's eye? Sort of. In one respect, yes, whether you're lying or murdering, it all, it's all sin and you all stand condemned before God unless you receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So all sin puts you in a position where you need a savior. So on, on, in that respect, yes, all sin is the same. Are you with me so far? But not all sin has the same consequence and some are highlighted in the Bible as being worse than others. And I'll I'll just prove it to you. I'll just prove it to you. Would you rather me lie to you or would you rather me murder you? They're both sins. Of course you would rather me lie to you. Why? Because murder has much, much, much worse, um, you know, problems that that are associated with it. So even though a lie or a murder both both, um, declare your need for a savior, one is worse than the other. Okay. And I understand we say these things because we don't want to judge others for their sin. Well, your sin's no worse than mine. That's true spiritually, but not naturally. They have different consequences. And sexual immorality, fornication, is designated, it's starred, it's highlighted in the Bible as one that's kind of a bigger deal. It says, no sin so clearly affects the body as this one, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. He continues, and don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself, for, you bought, he, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. It hurts you. Sexual immorality hurts you. Okay, And so that's why it is a big deal. So really quickly... I'm going to give you, if we're, if we're called to run from fornication, we're called to flee from sexual immorality, how do we do this? What, what, what are the steps to, to, flee, to, to flee from fornication, to run? Here's the first one, is we yield our sex life to the maker of sex. You've got to yield your sex life to the maker of sex. Sex. Now, we get all weirded out when it comes to sex and God sometimes. We're like, oh, God, don't look. We're about to. You know, it's like, like he's like, oh, what are they doing with their, I did not. I mean, look, God created sex, and sex is good. Think about it. Think about this. God did not have to make sex be a pleasurable experience. 
As a matter of fact, in, in, in the animal kingdom, it's not always a pleasurable experience. There's some ladies that kill the husband after they mate, all right? So ladies, you can't do that, okay? Even though it's natural, you know, the appeal to nature is not a good argument for saying that something's good. Well, they do it in nature. Well, they kill their children in nature sometimes too. Not okay. You're not an animal, okay? Um, and so, but, but, but sex, God, God made it pleasurable on purpose. He, he made it good on purpose. God's not a prude, Right? He knows exactly how it works, and he's not ashamed of it. I, I think he's probably pretty proud of it. But we see that since he is the maker of sex, then we should go to him as the information of how we should you know, work with sex. And so Genesis 2.24 is, is the first time that, uh, that we even... Uh, Bring, it doesn't use the word sex specifically, but it talks about this union with woman and man. It's verse 24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Verse 25, now check this out. Now both the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Do you know it's God's desire for you to be naked and not filled with shame? God wants you to live your life in such a way and to treat sex in such a way that you can be naked and not have shame. And many of you have been naked before and there's shame because of it. And God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. He is the maker of sex. He designed it from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And so he is the one that gets to determine um, how we interact with sex. Um, Think about it like this. Everything that you see, everything that you can touch, taste, hear, smell, sense, whatever, has been created. Everything, the chair you're sitting on, the walls, even the grass, okay, the trees, everything's been created. And therefore, like any created thing, that means that we can assume, one, it has a creator, right? Things don't just appear, boom, a banana right there. No, I mean, it comes from a tree, right? And the tree came from a seed. And the seed eventually, the whole thing came from God. Okay, So it has a creator, and two, the creator gets to determine the purpose and set the boundaries of his creation. The creator gets to determine the purpose and set the boundaries of his creation. You know, I'm wearing shoes this morning. Aren't you glad? Wearing shoes. I didn't make these shoes. These, these shoes have a creator. And before these shoes existed, in the creator's mind, there was a purpose. We're going to make a dress shoe for a man. That was, there was a part, we're going to make a dress shoe for a man. It's going to look like this. It's going to have this type of sole. It's going, to, it's going to be this color. And then they actually manufactured it. And when they manufactured it, they created boundaries. And they said, this one will be a size 12. This size 12 shoe is a certain boundary because it fits a certain size foot. You know, it wouldn't make sense for me to walk in with clown shoes that are like way bigger than my feet, right? The boundaries are good for me. The boundaries end up protecting me. And so everything that's created has a creator, and therefore the creator gets to determine the purpose and the boundaries. Are y'all with me? Anything less is idolatry. Now, I've heard it put this way. Most people approach sex in one of three ways. Either as gross, as God, or as a gift. Gross, God, or gift. 
And some of us, because, you know, there's been uh, sexual abuse and there's been maybe the church is just crammed down your throat. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so it's gross. It's like, oh, yeah, we can't talk about that. We can't. We can't. And so it's like this, this off-putting idea about sex is gross, sex is bad, when that's not true at all. And then the other side is that some people are living in idolatry where they are telling God, I don't care about your purpose and your boundaries. Uh, and I'm going to go however I want to. And then sex becomes God. It's idolatry. And, and because you are cheating, literally cheating, on God with sex. Okay? Does that make sense? And then lastly, you can view sex as a gift. And, and these, these, these three ideas of sex is, uh, there it is, gross, God, or gift. Or you are probably going to fall under one of these categories. And I encourage you, sex is a gift. It is good, but it does have boundaries. So let's talk about that. First of all, since a creator can set the purpose and the boundaries, let's talk first about the purpose. What is the purpose of sex? What is, what is the purpose of sex? And this is number two. In order to flee from fornication, we have to understand the purpose of sex. Um, the church has gotten this wrong because we focused on what instead of why. We focused on, on don'ts, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, instead of do this. This is good. This is what it's for. And we've been so busy wagging our finger and telling everyone what not to do, we've forgotten to tell them the purpose behind sex. See, the boundaries around sex will make sense once you understand the purpose behind sex. Are you with me? So let's look at the purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 is uh, mostly all about sex. And um, it's Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and and sex was a a big deal back then in their culture. They had temple prostitutes. They had all kinds of stuff going on. So here we go, Uh, 13 through 17. It says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us up from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Okay, real quick. What what do you mean food for the stomach and stomach for food? What's he talking about? This was probably a phrase like, hey, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? Or people would say, hey, dude, are you going to eat tonight? Hey, food for the stomach and stomach for food. In other words, hey, I got a stomach, and I got a desire to eat, so heck yeah, I'm going to eat, man. I'm going to stuff that thing, right? That, because that's why I got a stomach. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And he's like, that's true. God created a stomach for food and food for stomach. We wouldn't have food if we didn't have stomachs, right? Right, so, okay. All right, he's saying, but you cannot say that about sex. You can't say sex for the body and the body for sex. You can't say, hey, I've got these organs, right? They work. And uh, I got the drive, so hey, let's just make it happen, Captain, right? This is what we're doing now. I got an itch, I got a scratch. And it's just physical. It's just physical. He's, he, he said, you can't say that about your sex drive. You can't compare your sex drive to your eating drive. Why? Because your, your desire for food is purely natural. It is just your body, right? You may think you're having a heavenly experience when you eat those chili cheese fries, but you're not. You're just feeding your body, okay? And it's not spiritual. But sex is. 
You can't compare it to your other needs and desires. Hey, I, hey, I got I to gotta have sex, man. It's just it's a natural desire. It is, but you can't. It's not the same thing. It touches your soul. It's not a physical only craving like food. Look, here's the purpose of sex according to Scripture. It's twofold. Sex creates children, and sex is spiritual glue. Sex creates children. How many of you knew that already? Yeah, okay, good. Third grade biology. Good job. Congratulations. Of course. And we're not going to talk about that because that's that's obvious. But also, sex is spiritual glue. So let's keep reading here. We just talked about food for the stomach and stomach for food. Verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Now, interesting. He doesn't say sleep with a prostitute. He says join join to a prostitute. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, Genesis 2.24, we already talked about it, God's, God's the maker. The two are united into one, but the person who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. What's he saying? He's like, look, when you, have, when you experience sexual intimacy with another person, you are joining yourself to that person. Sex is spiritual glue. You are soulishly bonding yourself to that person. Okay? That's why it exists. That's the purpose behind it. And he's saying, look, so in light of that fact, he said the purpose, the two shall become one, was one man, one woman, was marriage. But when you, when you sleep with a prostitute, for example, you're bonding yourself to her. You're joining yourself with her. And, and, and you are meant to be joined with God. Not some random person because you had to scratch that itch, right? Are you with me? So this is the purpose of sex. So how to, how to run from fornication? After we understand the purpose of sex, then we got to understand the boundaries of sex. And the boundaries of sex make a whole lot of sense once you understand the purpose of sex. Let's turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 4. See, boundaries are important. You take something like water. Water is incredibly life-giving, right? I mean, water you got to have water to live. If you go more than three days without water, you're going to die. Your body has, I think, 80% water is what I've heard. So it's really, really important, you know. Um, but have you ever had a flood in your house? Have you ever seen damaging water just take down entire buildings? So while water is incredibly important, it can give life, water can also take life when it's outside of its boundaries. That's why boundaries are important, okay? And so sex has boundaries as well. Hebrews 13.4 says, give honor to marriage. In other words, in other words make marriage uh, the, 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 the reason that sex exists, Give honor to marriage. Don't just think that marriage is no big deal. It's just a piece of paper. It's not. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit, in the word for immoral, it's fornication again, and those who commit adultery. Okay? So he says give honor to, to marriage. Why marriage? Why? Well, because marriage is your protection. So, so here, here are the boundaries for sex. Let me just lay it out for you really easy. One man, 
one woman, consensual, and protected by the covering of marriage. That's the boundaries for sex. Inside those boundaries, sex is awesome, go for it, have fun. It's great. But outside of these boundaries is when sex gets dangerous. It begins to harm us. One man, one woman, consensual and protected by the covering of marriage. Why does it have to be marriage? Here's why. Now get this. You were created to be valued as a soul before you are to be experienced as a body. And value is determined by cost. Right? If something costs $500 versus something costs $100, the $500 item is more valuable because of what it costs. Commitment is the cost of sex. Commitment is the cost of sex. In other words, when you're willing to pay in com- what you're willing to pay in commitment to someone determines how much sex you are able to get, if that makes sense. And that's why the ultimate commitment is a marriage covenant. When someone has sex outside of the marriage covenant, okay, they're throwing away their value. And they're saying, my body, my sexuality, the ability to be bonded to me is worth nothing. You don't have to commit anything to get with me. And it damages you. And it hurts you. And that's why God has placed boundaries around it. Anytime you use something outside of its intended purpose and boundaries, you're going to ruin that thing. If I use a Bible as a doorstop, eventually the pages are going to get tattered and torn. I mean, it works temporarily, but it's not the purpose. It's so far beneath its purpose. Lastly, and I'm running late, guys. I apologize. The fourth way to run from fornication is to embrace the importance of sex and marriage. Not just shake our finger at what's wrong, but to embrace what's right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has a great passage of scripture here about instructions for married people and sex. Married people, hey, listen up. If you're not married, this is what you can look forward to. Verse 2, because there's so much sexual immorality, that word's fornication, pornaya. Each man should have his own wife. Each woman should have her own husband. In other words, the Bible instructs you married people, you need to get it on. Biblical instruction, all right? You should, it says you should, you should. Each man should have his own wife. Each woman should have her own husband, all right? Verse 3, the husband should, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. This is so incredibly forward thinking for the time. Uh, no other culture, no other religion, no other would, in, would, would, would think that the man has a duty, an obligation to fulfill his wife sexually. Christianity is uh, one of the most woman-honoring, if it's the most woman-honoring spiritual path there is. And they were saying this, the thing that women are fighting for today, they were saying it thousands of years ago. Husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. He takes it a step further, verse 4. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. Do you see the mutual submission here? Do you see the love? Do you see the laying down each other's life for each other? Verse 5. And do not deprive each other of sexual relations. 
unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to, to prayer. But afterward, you should come back together again. You should do it, married people, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because you're lack of self-control. All right? I, I love it. I love it. He's like, look, don't deprive each other. Look, using, if you're married and using sex as a weapon, shame on you. It's a terrible idea. Well, I'm mad at you, so I'm not going to sleep with you. Well, I understand. You don't want to sleep with someone that you don't, you don't feel close to. You know, that's, that's, we don't want to sleep with people we don't feel close to, right? But at the same time, like, the, using sex as a weapon is just opening the door for the enemy. There are people who want to sleep with your spouse. And for you to intentionally deprive them, to punish them, it's just a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. And says, you know, don't, don't stop unless you're fasting sex. Do you know you can fast sex? Whew, we're just going to skip right over that one. All right. So what are you fasting? Uh, okra. <laughs> Look, you should, if you're married, you should practice good sex. You should. You should practice good sex. You should, it should not be a taboo subject in your family. Now, there's age appropriateness. We told our children very early on purpose because I wanted to get there first. And I wanted to create a proper understanding and dynamic. And I can tell you, my kids, they can ask me anything. And I don't go, um, uh, I don't do that. I don't do that. We just talk. And if I say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? I'll find out. And you just, you can't make it a taboo subject. They will find out. They will find out. The average age of, 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 uh, of a child seeing pornography is age 11. If you haven't talked to your kids at least by 10, I don't know what you're doing. Seriously. This is an emergency. Fornication is not the unforgivable sin. If you've committed fornication, even if you're currently living in some sort of fornication... Here's what you do. You repent, you receive his grace, and you make Jesus Lord of your sex life. Just start now. What did Jesus tell the woman who was caught in adultery? Caught in adultery, red-handed. Everyone knew what she'd been doing. Everyone knew. What did he say? Go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. Right now, you have the opportunity. If, If God is not Lord of your sex life, repent. Change your mind. Change your direction. Change your actions. And say, Lord, I'm going to allow you to, to not just be my Savior. Everyone wants God as a Savior, but no one wants him as a Lord. They want him to bail them out when they get in trouble. Oh, my, I might be pregnant. Lord, I, please, please. Make him Lord, and you won't have to worry about that stuff. And he won't have to be your Savior as much. And this is my final question to you. Is, are you running from fornication? Really? Are you running? Are you fleeing from sexual immorality? Or are you just kind of like, hmm... This is interesting. Let's stand for prayer.